during Christmas. I knew that my mama loved me, and she would not let me go naked. And so any other day of the year, I'd get clothes. Don't waste my Christmas gifts on clothes, but my son wants shoes. And he found a, a, a Nike website where you can design your own tennis shoe. I had white tennis shoes because that's what Pentecostal guys wore back then with the tight rolled stonewashed jeans. I had Ked and LA Swiss gear or LA gear and it was awesome. But Zane, he wants all that and so I'm, I'm on the website and it's a, quite a, a, a process. I was a good church person. I bought Nike gift cards from Sister Roshana so that I could uh, uh, give the church back 11% of that purchase. And so that's a little plug. If you're going to buy gift cards, you need to see Sister Roshana. We've got gift cards to everywhere you can possibly imagine and then some. And, and uh, so I had the, the Nike gift cards only come in, in denomination of 25, so I had several of them. And, you know, and I'm trying to get on their site, and about the time I'd get to do something, it'd kick me off. And we'd start that dumb process all over again. I was losing my Christmas spirit very quickly. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd type in that number, and I don't type numbers well. I can do words fast, but numbers slow me down. I'm typing in that 16-digit that uh, uh, gift card number and the Seems like an 87-digit PIN code, and I'm typing that in, and I hit enter, and it would say uh, website error, and I'd have to enter it again. I think I entered those crazy things about 50 times and finally got mad, and I, I uh, called the tech support, and they said, well, the problem is this was, uh, I think, Friday night, maybe Thursday night, I don't remember, but they said, here's the problem. Tonight at midnight, we're launching the new Nike shoe. It's the Space Jam you know, shoe from way back when they made the first Space Jam kind of movie and all that. And, 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 and so it's this Nike shoe, and we're just already experiencing great things. And, and, you know, our website can't handle the traffic. There's been a lot of announcements made to man. Uh, we, we recently, Buzz Aldrin passed away, and that brings all those uh, things back to, to, to light. He was the first man to orbit in space. And then that leads you to Neil Armstrong, the first one to put a footprint on the moon. There's been some incredible announcements made. There, there's, there's been incredible announcements, but in a bad way, such as December 7th, a day that will forever live in infamy. And you have that. You have the announcements uh, in different places in the Bible. There's prophetic words that are made, but nothing compares to the announcement of the angels as they gathered on a cloud and together they announced this. This is what Luke said. I think we read part of this last week, but let me read it again. That there were in the same country shepherds abiding by the fields, watching their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord, first it was one, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. Anytime I see angels, there always seems to be followed by those two words, fear not. It must have been an awesome, an awestruck experience for an angel to speak to you. Whether it was Gabriel or whether it was uh, Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah, when an angel would come and speak, it must have been a, almost a frightening moment for the heavens to open and they to stand. But fear not, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The sign, that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then something happened. Verse 13 says that suddenly there was with that one angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. We don't know, but I assume, or maybe it's just the romantic understanding, and I don't mean that in the term of love, but just that, you know, you always have your kind of uh, how it ought to be. Maybe it was Gabriel, the messenger angel, the one that appeared to Mary and then to Joseph in the dreams. Perhaps it was he the one that spoke to those lowly shepherds there on the backside of nowhere watching over their sheep. But regardless of which angel was tasked with that first Uh, 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 utterance, the message was unmistakable. But have you ever given thought to that multitude of the heavenly hosts? I don't think I'm stretching it too far, but let me take you to Revelation chapter 5. John, the revelator, said, I saw at the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written in it and on the backside, and it was sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. There's that one angel again. I don't know if it was Gabriel or Michael, the warring angel. And you go through this and he begins to proclaim that who is worthy to open this book of the seven seals and you keep doing that. And then John is weeping because there's no one that seems to be able to have that kind of power to open up that. And finally one of the elders around the throne says, don't weep, there's one that comes from the lion, from the, the tribe of Judah, the lion, the root of David, and he's prevailed. He's going to open the book. And then John sees Jesus. John couldn't even describe it. Read it in in, in chapter 5. It's hard for him to put into human language. That doesn't mean when you see it, just in case you get there, it doesn't mean that he had seven horns and seven eyes. And It's all kind of, I don't even know how to describe the glory. Jesus comes and takes the book out of the, that right hand and, and sits down and they and the elders, the four and twenty elders, they, they sit down and they sing a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book. But watch verse 11. You're kind of figuring out how in the world does Bethlehem have to do with, with Revelation. It, it's right here. Verse 11. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Could you just allow me to have my own imagination that when the heavens exploded, it wasn't a cute little three-person choir dressed up in mama's bathrobe and a little tinsel garland around their head when the heavens exploded. There were tens of thousands of angels that began to to sing out and begin to uh, uh, worship him. That angelic choir that ignited the heavens was uh, a most glorious sight as they serenaded those lonely shepherds telling them the Messiah has come. We've preached a lot about it through the years about you know Gabriel looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, are you really going to go die on the cross? And you know we try to humanize the elements that the angels could never believe that Jesus would willingly lay down his life and it kind of blew their mind. But I'd like to tell you today that the angels surely must have been confused that night. For here, the greatest moment of mankind's existence had happened. God became flesh. Never before and never again has there ever been anything quite amazing. And I know that in heaven there had to be some consternation because they could not understand why in the world that the announcement of the Messiah was not broadcast to the whole world. Brother Jonathan, you've done a phenomenal job on these decorations, but they're kind of boxing me in. 
I mean, can you imagine? Here's the angels that have lived their entire existence in the splendor of heaven with the majesty of God Almighty and now God has come to earth and he's come for a purpose and they had to wonder, why not ignite every volcano on earth? Why not burn bright the northern lights? Why not make every heavenly spectacle of a lunar eclipse or other celestial anomalies shine for all to see? Where are the meteor showers and where is the explosion of the thundering clouds? After all, God is coming to earth. Why in the world would you do all of this for just some shepherds? Why, God, would you encounter all of this and set up heaven's sound system and make sure everybody's practiced and make sure everything is just right for these common folk? While the Bible does not give us a clear answer as to why it was the shepherds and whom were the ones visited, I do believe there is something to the why Jesus came to those who needed a Savior and those who were searching for a Savior. He could have come to the royalty of the world. He could have come to the kings and the princes and the sheiks and all of those. In fact, the story of the wise men and King Herod proves that point very clearly, that King Herod was not ready to receive. In fact, he decided he wanted to kill all the babies so he could get rid of this this usurper to the throne, if you will. So Jesus came to ordinary folk like you and I today. He didn't come with to those that had lengthy pedigrees, or at least not. that's not the reason he came. He said, I'm going to come to those that when they hear, they go. Nowhere in the Bible, and I'm kind of convinced the Bible would have told me if it was so. I don't find any shepherd going... You know what, I, I, this has been really awesome, this angelic choir, and, and I know I ought to go find out what they're talking about, but you know, these sheep really need me, and, and I might get in trouble if I leave my sheep. I don't find that. I find that when the voice of God, if you will, through that angelic visitation came, they left everything they could, and they went to find Jesus. It's a common denominator throughout the New Testament. He found Peter and James and John and they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus comes to those who want him, who desire him and who needs them. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to save his people from their sin. He came to declare the gospel, the good news to all who believed. And hark the herald angels sings, tells us that. I want you just to kind of see the theology. You see, there, it, it's very interesting that first stanza of, of the song, there's actually there's probably four stanzas. I, I, when I was researching this and I looked it up, I only found these three, and then later I found the fourth one, and it talks uh, a, a little bit more prophetically. But um, for, for tonight, or for this morning rather, I'm just going to do these first three stanzas, these first three verses. The first verse is the, is the Messiah has come. The second verse is who is this Messiah? And the third verse is what is this Messiah going to do? See, that's one thing we've lost in our, and I love our worship, and you've heard me preach about it. I love all the worship we do. I love all the new songs. The Bible says sing unto the Lord a new song. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But the one thing that is missing in today's uh, worship is the reason they used to sing those old hymns. Maybe those old hymns didn't always uh, make you want to shout and jump, but they were very theolic. They they talked a lot about God. 
songs, and we sang it a few Sundays ago, I think, songs like uh, uh, It's All in Him, The Fullness of the Godhead. I mean, it's an incredible song, but it taught those children when they would sit on the pews, it taught them Bible verses that they may not have heard all the time. And so when John Wesley wrote this song, he did it for a Christmas hymn, if you will, but he also did it to teach people something. Those that, that may be illiterate and couldn't read the Bible, they could sing this song and know things about God that great theologians are still trying to figure out. And so God came, and so this first stanza talks about the promise of the Messiah, and it came with angels and shepherds. But then you get to that second part. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold he come. Offspring of a virgin womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. There's no doubt in heaven. There's no doubt anywhere that the angels in heaven worship one true God. If anybody knew about what was in the heavens, those angels did. If anybody understood who God was and how to describe him, those angels did, for they walked with him and saw him. In fact, all the way back in Deuteronomy, you have that powerful verse that now man knows what the angels know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God's own words in Isaiah would state, I am the Lord and beside me there is no other. We, we understand through his own words that the Lord is a jealous God who is not willing to share his glory with any other. There's no other being. There's no other person. There's no other thing. There's no other object that has the right to be glorified by the angels. Yet here we find that the heaven that Christ is adored by those angels which leads me to understand that if there's only one God and these angels are worshiping him then we ought to understand something about this Jesus Christ what does it mean how can Jesus be adored by the heavens how can Jesus be the everlasting Lord the answer lies in John chapter 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him and without him was not anything made I know you came to church today and you heard Hark the Herald Angels sing and you said oh pastor's going to preach a cute little sermon today. (laughs) Now you get to see the glory of God wrapped up in a hymn. This Christ ever adored by the angels the Bible says late in time meaning as time progressed there was a period later that he came born of a virgin's womb. The Isaiah, prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 7:14, Therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now they knew what Emmanuel meant, but we get to the New Testament and he goes a little further. You shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. No wonder the angels stepped on the balcony of heaven and looked down because God was right there in that manger and they worshiped and they adored. 
That promise of the Messiah being born of the woman is the first promise I find in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, when God cursed the serpent after that debacle there at the fruit tree in the garden, he told that serpent, you've done this. You're cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall thy go, and the dust you'll eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. There's going to be a fight between you and humanity. There's going to be something there, and Between thy seed and her seed, her seed will bruise thy head. You shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, the prophecy of Jesus coming to utterly destroy the grip that Satan has had there. That incarnation, oh I love this next phrase. Thank you John Wesley for putting it like this. I read the New Living Translation. I read the English Standard Version. When I'm doing my devotional reading, I like the easier read sometimes. But when it comes to this, give me the old English. Give me words that help me understand. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. How can that be? Well, if we go back to John chapter 1, you could jump down to the verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, John Wesley must have really understood. He had an incredible view of Jesus Christ when he sat down to compose the lyrics of this song. This Messiah born of a virgin in a manger was none other than God incarnate. God with us. This little child was not a theophany, not a symbol of God. This was not just something that kind of takes up place. This was not a ruling majority as some see God in multiple persons. Remember, God doesn't share his glory at all. This child was all of God come down to earth as all of man. If you've been hanging around church on Wednesday nights in the book of Hebrews, we've dealt on this, we've talked about it, but there's something inside of me that gets excited and I think you see it too. Colossians 2.9 For in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is not in the Godhead. Jesus is not part of the Godhead. Jesus is not one part of some great trinity somewhere, but instead it says that all of the Godhead dwelled bodily in this man, Christ Jesus. How do you describe it, Brother Miller? I don't know. I can't comprehend it. The Bible says, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy. You can't argue it. You can't deny it. It's right there. Great is the mystery of godliness. What? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received into glory. You didn't know all that was found in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Way back in the 400s, okay, that's 400 years after the birth of Jesus, 400 A.D., if you will. There's an obscure hymn that probably most of us have never heard. I had never heard it. You can find it. If you go to churches, when I say high church, those, those, a lot of your Catholic churches or your Lutheran churches that have that, that, that grand, you know, I, I did a... a wedding a couple months ago and, and it was so awesome to walk in, in the, that Presbyterian church, Dardine Presbyterian church because they had this huge pipe organ and uh, I'd have loved to have heard that play. But sometimes they sing those old, old hymns. So this hymn is for, it goes all the way back to the 400, to the 400s. That means, uh, you know, we're right now 
2,000 plus years after that, we're going all the way back to 400. Uh, Caelius Sedalius, he was a Christian who lived most likely in Rome. He penned a, a, uh, uh, a hymn called, Now Praise We Christ the Holy One. And when you listen to it, you can just imagine monks singing in the cloistered environment of a monastery and just kind of letting that a cappello echo out. But in it, it has this incredible picture painted by words. And I want you to listen. It says, Upon a manger filled with hay, in poverty content he lay. With milk was fed the Lord of all, who feeds the ravens when they call. That God would willingly give himself a human existence with limitations is beyond my comprehension. The angels, I know, surely looked at God when he laid out the plan of what he was going to do and said, are you sure you want to do this, Lord? You who walks on the heavens and you who goes beyond the expanse of the infinity of space, are you sure you want to put yourself in a little bouncing baby boy in a, in a, in a manger but he did. It's that old song we sang again a few services ago. Uh, uh, what condescension bringing us redemption. That in the dead of night not one faint hope in sight. But God gracious and tender laid aside his splendor. Stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. That God, listen, and, and, and thank you for what you said, Brother Perryman, about last Wednesday night. I, 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 it was... And, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but that's when you start getting into Hebrews and really understand it and you see the scope of it, there's some glory in there. But can I tell you that God gave himself spatial limitations. When, when Jesus walked, he could only be in one place at that moment at one time. And I know this, we, we don't think like this, but I just want you to realize the depths that God went for you. God had to put himself in swaddling clothes. Do you know what swaddling clothes are? It's a straight jacket for kids. You take that child and you bundle them all up so they can't move. Surely God, now confined, if you will. The one that Mary would have to put her up to the breast and feed that, that baby was the one that fed the, the ravens and the ones that fed the wild donkeys. Read Job and see everything that God can do. But instead, he put himself down. He made himself as man so that he could win your soul. The next line of that second stanza of Hark the Herald Angels thing sings, says, Pleased as man... With man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. I can't preach it again. I, I, I want to. But I, can I just tell you, if you weren't here last Wednesday night, you missed something that will change your life. You owe it to yourself. Go to the website. It's there, right on the front page, at Hebrews chapter 8, to realize what it really means that God became our high priest. That he was born just like you and I. That he suffered just like you and me. He was tempted just like you and me. He went through what you've gone through. He knows what you feel. And he said, I want to come and dwell with man. Not necessarily as God. I want to come down like them. So that one day I can bring them up to be like me. 
And then you slide into that third stanza. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. And I hear in the background, you may not have heard it, but as you sing that song, I hear something in the in the in between the lines, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, and the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, love, or light and life to all he brings. And I get myself transported back to John chapter 1. In him was life, and the light was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In the flow of Hark the Herald Angel Sings, you go to the next one. It says, risen with healing in his wings. And oh, I didn't know you'd be here tonight, or this morning rather, Sister Thurston, but what a promise we have. The Bible says he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement of my peace was upon him. But with his stripes, we are healed. And I claim that right now, Sister Thurston, there's more that God wants to do in your life. He's been opening up time and time again. And when we prayed Wednesday night, I felt the presence of God come down. And then when Brother Thurston texted me that morning and said, well, she's awake and she's back to her old self. I think he was happy for that, Sister Thurston. I, I don't think he likes it. He's okay with you picking on him and, you know, prodding at him. I told Brother Thurston I was going to get one of those silver bells so that she could ring every time she needed me. And he told me he'd quit paying his tithes if I did that, so I didn't do it. but risen with healing in his wings. That Isaiah 53, it's a very common scripture, but that's not the only place you see that. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, watch what Peter says, for even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was their guile found in his mouth. When, when, who, when he was reviled, reviled not. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to those that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto unrighteousness. And Peter just had to put this in. By whose stripes we are healed. For you were like sheep gone astray. But now we've returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them a second birth. If I may quote from Robert J. Morgan who wrote, writes a, sto a, a series of books that gives you the story behind the hymns. And I love it. It, it, it's, it. it gives you the hymn and then it gives you some history of it. But this is what he wrote. It says, Beneath the merriment of Christmas... A melancholy stream flows like an underground river. It's not simply feelings of nostalgia, nor is it simply holiday blues, but it's the pathos of the imponderable, the unsearchable sorrow of God in flesh coming to die for the sins of the world. The greatest gift of Christmas is not frankincense, gold, or myrrh, or Xbox Ones, or those new little hatchables that you can't find, or the Nintendo that they rebrought out that you could buy for $50, except if you didn't get it, now it's $212. No, the greatest gift of Christmas 
it's not even just the birth of Christ. The greatest gift of Christmas is that the birth of Christ finally paved the way for the sins of humanity to finally once and for all be done with. Would you let me read another portion of scripture to you? 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall put on immortality, then it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, hey, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Christ now we know see when I begin to say that something wells up inside of you you kind of want to pound a pulpit but you're not in front of one but perhaps the most powerful statement of that verse is not necessarily made in that verse but it has to absolutely be understood that verse means nothing without the miracle of the incarnation. Because we know, hang tight, we know flesh and blood can't inherit heaven. That one day our corruptible flesh must put on incorruption and our mortality must put on immortality. And the only way that that could ever, ever, ever happen is for a God who is a spirit. The Bible says he's a spirit and a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood doesn't have blood so in order for you mortal man to one day put on immortality for you corruptible man to put on incorruption it only happened when the incorruptible God came down and put on corruptible flesh but it didn't allow it to tame him he knew sin but was without sin. He was tempted at all points like as we were, but he never sinned. The only way death can be swallowed up in victory, the only way that the, that, that the, the, the sting of death can no longer harm us is that he felt the sting of three nails on an old rugged cross. The only way for you to get away from the sting of death is for that sting of thorns to pierce his brow. The weight of Every one of our sins lay upon him as he drank that cup of bitterness and he carried our sin to the cross and he nailed them there. He died so that you might live. The, the, the immortal God came down and put mortality on and died so that you mortal man could one day when that trumpet sound throw off that flesh that has cumbered you for so long and stand on a pearly uh, a white uh, a gold street on a pearly white gate and your mortal will put on immortality because his immortality once put on mortalness <laughs> heart the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king and I think somebody right now needs to stand for a moment and I know we're not going to sing that song necessarily again but could somebody stand 
and say glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. I know it's a hymn, but oh, what a hymn it is. Oh, living, he loved me. Yes, dying, he saved me. Married, he carried all of my sins far away. Rising, he justified. 